Just before we begin this episode of Faith in Politics, we wanted you to know that the Joint Public Issues team will be focusing our podcasting output on our 10 Minutes On series for the next while, meaning the Faith in Politics format will be in hiatus. If you subscribe to the Faith in Politics podcast already, you don't have to do anything. The next episode of 10 Minutes On will come to you as usual in your preferred podcast app. For now... Enjoy this final episode of Season 5 of Faith in Politics. Hello. Thank you for tuning in to this special episode of Faith in Politics. We're taking a break from interviewing just for this episode and have collated some of the best moments from the recent Joint Public Issues Team Conference that happened in July. It was a great day focused on unearthing hope and seeking justice in our own local context. Reverend Steve Tinning from the JPIT team started the day with a time of worship reflection on the justice of Jesus. Enjoy. Listening to a podcast a couple of weeks ago, I heard a writer many of you will, I'm sure, be familiar with, Brian McLaren, share some thoughts on a passage in John 9. And his reflection on boxes led me to think about our theme for today, from the ground up. So I thought I'd share a paraphrased version of it for you this morning. In John 9, there's a story of a man who had been blind since birth. And immediately we are confronted by the boxes that the various characters are in. Who sins, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? say some of the disciples. In their box, if something bad happens, it must be that someone is to blame. But Jesus has no interest in entertaining the boxes in which they are trapped. Instead, he kneels down on the ground and he spits and he creates mud from the ground. And he stands up, spreads the mud in the man's eyes and tells him to wash in a pool. And sure enough, the man is healed. But his newly opened eyes are never set on Jesus because by the time his sight has come, Jesus has gone. The man is intrigued by the religious leaders and they are asking who has healed him. And eventually he concludes, look, I don't know who he was. But what I know is this, not long ago I was blind and now I can see. This man must be from God. But the Pharisees don't take kindly to being lectured by someone they assume to be a sinner so they kick him out of the religious community. You see, they were in the same box as the disciples, the box that sees suffering as a result of wrongdoing. And their ability to see the wonder of God was similarly constrained by that box. And then the story finishes with some really intriguing words from Jesus. He says to the Pharisees, if you were blind, you would not have sin. But now that you say we see, your sin remains. The story begins with the disciples assuming that blindness is caused by sin. And at the end of the story, Jesus is saying, if you were blind, you would not have sin. But those who claim to see, they, they are the sinners. There are plenty of people out in our society and in the wider world who are suffering. 
And some people try to make sense of it by saying it's because of bad choices that they've made or because of the evil actions of others. But while they're debating the cause of sin, they are distracted from seeing the God who kneels down and from the ground up brings restoration and healing to those who suffer. This God invites us to live our lives of worship in which we kneel before him. When we stand, we are equipped with everything we need to bring life to a hurting world. So this morning as our call to worship, I invite us all to metaphorically, or if you've got space, or if you're at home watching, perhaps literally if you like, kneel down. Acknowledge our blindness before the God we love and serve. And when we stand at the end of the day, our lives of worship will begin. Up next, we have Bishop Mike Royal, President of Churches Together England, who brought the plenary for the day. He reflects on his experience of working for justice and the lessons that campaigning in partnership with different church groups has taught him. Thank you so much. It's a great joy to um, be with you. I've been given the task of speaking um, very briefly about where is the church called to organise and speak up for justice. But as I think of racial justice, uh, I, I think of George Floyd's murder, which was a, a moment that I think lit a, a touch paper in the conscience, not only of people in this country, not only of the church, but all round the world. Uh, and I re- remember when those awful images flashed across my screen and all of our screens because we were in lockdown. I remember the the feeling of personal racialized trauma as a black man. I also remember um, my phone just beginning to ring as people wanted to talk and to share and realized that as a pastor I had pastoral responsibility, not only for people in my own congregation, but people generally who knew me and just wanted someone to talk to. But I also quickly realised that there needed to be a prophetic response. And uh, I do want to say that the prophetic voice of the church is absolutely essential. And so together with uh, five leaders... We got together and we decided, do you know what? We are going to protest in Parliament Square and we are going to lead other Christians to do the same. And I think the first lesson I learnt as we kind of began to pull that together um, is go with the willing, leave others to wring their hands. Because one or two people rang and said, oh, well, you can't do this. These people need to be involved. Those people need to be involved. And if you waited for the last people to catch the train, well, the train would never leave, leave the station. And I just find that when God puts on your heart a particular um, issue, that suddenly you will face those who oppose the position, perhaps, that you're taking, you'll have others who perhaps want to be a bit protective of their own role and position 
in the whole thing. But really importantly, there's an important role that we need to play as enabling leaders in releasing new voices. And I'm so excited um, with the numbers of new voices that are speaking up about racial justice um, in a way that previously, two years ago, they simply wouldn't done. I was just picking up on, on Twitter the other day, a good friend of mine, um, Deborah Green, who many of you know, taking the knee on stage at a key event. Suddenly there's someone over the last couple of years who's become a real ally around racial justice, the importance of new voices. Secondly, I've recognised that it's really important we engage with social media. It's such a powerful tool for, for building momentum. I remember when we um, picked up um, and had the, the march um, in Parliament Square and down um, Whitehall, outside 10, down in street, where we nearly got in trouble with the, the police, but we moved on at the right time, I think, and down to, um, to uh, uh, Trafalgar Square, where we had some further uh, speeches. But, but we really built a lot of our momentum for a Facebook group, group, um, group that we set up. And um, uh, three things I've learned about engaging with social media. Don't argue with bots, and there are lots of them out there. But also, it's important to build um, a, a, a real kind of sense of people owning the issue beyond your own echo chamber. Really easy to speak to your own echo chamber. But actually, we are called to build wider alliance. And thirdly, that you can't champion everything. I'm passionate about lots of things. But actually, what's the key thing that God is calling you to do. The other thing I learned is the importance of, of dealing, what I describe as dealing with your own demons. Because one of the things that really struck me as, as the whole uh, movement of Black Lives Matter began to develop, I began to think of the times when I'd sat in rooms that I'd heard things that I was uncomfortable with and I'd just let it go. And, and so I'd actually deci I decided to, to put something out on, on, on social media. Um, and it was really interesting. It was just a confession. Um, at the times, I had turned a blind eye when I should have challenged issues of racial injustice or inappropriate things that had been said over 30 years of ministry and before I was ministry in the room. And it was very interesting that when I did that, suddenly I found that it gave other people permission to do the same and to go through the same process. Sometimes what God will do in our lives, when we share it humbly and vulnerably, actually gives other people permission to take the same journey as well. The personal is political, and so your own journey is relevant for your own credibility. I want to move on to the Ukraine crisis, um, because that's huge. And that was huge, particularly for us at Churches Together in England. Between the 14th and the 16th of March, we had our, our forum with over 300 leaders 
um, church and Christian leaders. And as the, the Ukraine crisis began to break, so we got a phone call over that weekend. I got a phone call from someone who I've known very well, Russell Rook, who said, listen, Mike, the government wants to speak to us and they want to speak to church leaders. And suddenly from the Flora Forum, we found ourselves speaking to the Minister for Refugees, Lord Harrington, who incidentally was being made a Lord in the House of Lords that day. So we met overnight as a group and we crafted some questions and we were able to put those, those, those questions to um, the, the minister. We were able to craft some statements and literally in the next couple of weeks then, we found ourselves outside the Ukraine embassy, um, standing with our Orthodox brothers and sisters in a moment of visible public solidarity. And I want to say that the visible public stuff is important in the mix. I know sometimes we don't like to do that, but I want to say we need to get used to protesting. It has its place. But really importantly has been the ongoing work, the stuff that happens behind the scene. And um, we've been running something called a Ukraine Refugee Roundtable, which brings together a real wide um, variety of different churches feeding into the mix, standing together in prayer and reflection, standing in solidarity with um, those who are working on the front line, sharing resources. We've been able to put um, questions directly to the Secretary of State, Michael Gove, for housing communities and levelling up. And, you know, it was interesting, I put the questions and I remember I got the response immediately and I was really disappointed. And I thought, I'm going to have to report back to, to this round table and it's not going to be great news because I don't think like, they really answered my question. And yet, over the next couple of weeks, suddenly I heard the questions that we had asked in private beginning to get discussed in the public square. Sometimes we think our message has not got through. The really truth is that they didn't have an answer for our question, but what our question has done has thrown up the issue, caused that then to be debated, and then suddenly we see the movement that we wanted to see. Really importantly, is creating space for the right voices to lead the way. I'm really pleased that the key orthodox voices are actually leading the way in this discussion. We've been wonderfully blessed with the wisdom of Father Stephen Platt from, uh, the, um, from an Orthodox church um, in Oxfordshire, with both Russian and Ukrainian speakers in his congregation. And um, for us to be able to get behind them in the work they have been doing has been absolutely critical. But allowing them, allowing those who are developing best practice on the ground to lead the way. These are all issues of our concern. But I want to say the issue that is before us right now, this cost of living crisis, which let's face it, has been building for a long time, none of us can afford to ignore. 
I want to encourage us all to pile in. It can't just be the job of a few experts. And I love and value the work of organisations like the Trussell Trust. But actually, this is something that is impacting everyone. We know that the poorer you are, the higher your inflation rate. And so while the government might talk about an inflation rate of between 8 and 10%, the truth is the poorest in this, con in this country, their inflation rate could be 15 or even 20%. And it's not just about putting food on the table, and it's not just about heating. And sometimes many people are now making a choice between food or heat and light. But how can our churches together become places of sanctuary where people can go, where people can feel supported, where people can eat together, where people can um, maintain their dignity and yet find that community is being strengthened? When people are in need, they don't queue outside our council offices. They are found outside the doors of our church. And I hope that those doors are open. And I hope our churches in the local community, but also at a national strategic level, are speaking to each other like we are today. Because together, I believe that the local church can bring hope to very needy people in our communities. We have to act together now to build as wide and as deep a coalition as possible if we are to confront the issues that we face as a community. I believe we can do it. I believe that we can make a difference, but it's gotta be ecumenically and it's got to be done together. Thank you so much for listening, and God bless you. Next we have Ryan, who you'll know from episodes of Faith and Politics, and Meg, a previous JPA intern. They together interview Sienna Sexton from Just Love, before finally, Deacon Eunice Atwood brings the day to a close in prayer with some alternative Beatitudes as a reflection on the day. Tell us a bit about you and a bit about what you do for Just Love. And maybe for people that don't know what Just Love is. Yeah, great. Um, so Just Love is a Christian charity that works with students to get them to do um, or to help them to do justice. Uh, the aim or the vision, I guess, is to see the whole of society and the world transformed by uh, like the younger generation um, giving them tools and like a spiritual foundation to engage with justice that will hopefully equip them to do it in the rest of their lives in their local communities and in their careers so we do this through student groups and we also um it's, it's really a student movement so it's student-led so we do it through student-led groups in 23 universities across the uk and also through the alumni network and so that's the organization what we i work for it's pretty cool it's pretty fun and what do you do for Just Love Sienna? Yes, so I'm um, on the staff team. I work with three groups. I work in Oxford, Nottingham and Birmingham. It's really fun, actually, because 
Just Love works in university cities. We don't work with specific unis per se. So I work across different universities, which is really, really fun and quite a challenge sometimes. And then I also work in the alumni department. Every year we have an alumni conference, which is a chance for our alumni to gather together and to get a day of teaching on a specific theme. So last year it was on generosity and it was a day to think about how do we really follow the very challenging calls to being radically generous with the finances that we've been given. Amazing, that's really cool. And how did you get involved in Just Love in the first place, Sienna? Um, I was encouraged to join by a family friend who was who is, has now married the founder of Just Love. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and so that's love. where it started. And then I really enjoyed it and basically was roped in. So I wasn't like completely sold when I was not on committee. And then they were like, oh, we feel like you could lead these things. And um, please, could you help us? We need your help. And I ended up helping. And they were like, hey, how about being on committee? How about leading committee? <laughs> and here we are three and a bit years later. And, and do you have any stories, Sienna, of how you've seen Just Love, how you've mm. seen students um, pursuing justice and unearthing hope? Yeah, so it's been a really challenging couple of years with the pandemic, um, but it's been really amazing to see the way that during the pandemic, students were not just like, I suppose, like hunkering down and being at home and like not doing anything during the pandemic, but actually were giving so much time to their local communities and we're also still engaging with activism so um and we've seen like post-pandemic there's been a real I guess shift in in what students are doing and it's been really exciting to see more of even more of like a plugging into and almost like a critical engagement with how people are, are doing local justice and how they can be using their particular pos positionality like as uni students yeah. um so that's been really exciting and I think one of the things that I love about the students that I work with and I think is so hopeful is the way that they're working in partnership with other organizations and able to bring a lot of energy and drive and passion but that to be like directed by the wisdom of people who are older than them and have worked in careers for a while. Amazing. Yeah so um, you, you've mentioned kind of what you've been doing and, and we're trying to be really honest um, today and, and, and recognize the challenges as well as the hope so what's been difficult what's been challenging for you and then I suppose the flip side of that is you know where's the hope on the on the other side of of those challenges yeah I think doing any form of justice or like also ministry is is hard work or can be really hard work particularly when you're engaging with really structural and systemic issues like climate change or you're looking at the refugee crisis and you can see the way that the government policies are exacerbating things and so I do think just being constantly plugged into massive injustice issues and trying to support younger people than me as they engage with them can be quite quite hard work um, but the things that bring me hope are getting to meet and connect with organizations who are doing really amazing things that we can support both like financially but also uh, like with our time and energy and being able to kind of facilitate the leadership mm. of students um, while they're at uni. There have been some really amazing campaigns that have come out of different Just Love groups and like in the past few months there's been some really exciting work around domestic violence and changing narratives in the church and I'm really excited for that conversation to carry on because it feels like a really important one. 
That's amazing. And just really quickly, Sienna, before we go back um, to, to the town hall, do you have any tips for people that might be listening at home and thinking that's really cool and they might not be able to join in Just Love themselves, they're not young people, but how could they be connecting with the work Just Love is doing maybe in their local area? Yeah, so, well, you if you sign up, no, no, if you sign up, sorry. If you go to our website, which I think is www.justloveuk.com, um, or if you check us out on the Slack marketplace, you can you can find the vision video, um, and you can also find a link to our website where if you sign up to the mailing list, you'll be able to get regular updates as to what our work is and how you can be supporting Just Love um, financially or also in prayer. We would love prayer. I think it's a particularly challenging mm. time like still definitely transitioning out of the pandemic and students really feeling the feeling the toll on like mental health and other things post-pandemic it's amazing thanks so much Sienna we hope you've enjoyed this special episode and found it interesting and useful you can find all of these sessions in full on the joint public issues team youtube channel and you can also watch other sessions from the day in full there too goodbye If you've enjoyed this podcast, please tell others and share it around. You can find more about the Joint Public Issues team at jpit.uk. That's j-p-i-t dot u-k.